guys? Great. Good. Um, well, let me add my welcome. My name is John T. Um, it is great to see you at Globe Church. If we've not met personally, welcome. It's lovely to see you. And um, we're going to turn to John chapter 19 uh, in the Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, it would be great if you had a Bible. And Sam and Nick are leaping joyfully to bring Bibles to you. Um, if you'd like a Bible, please stick your hand in the air. Um, here we go. Yes, you see. Here they come. Uh, if you find John chapter 19, page 1087. And let me just say, if you're not used to being in church, it's great that you're here. Um, and this is what we do. We open up the Bible. We believe the Bible is um, God's word, and therefore we want to hear what it says. And we've been working our way through John's gospel, and we've got to John 19. And I just need to fill you in on where we're up to. Um, Jesus is on trial. Um, Jesus is on trial, and he's accused by the religious leaders of blasphemy. And so the religious leaders have put him on trial, and then he's been handed over to the political leaders. Um, (laughs) You can leave it like that, that's fine. Um, religious leaders handed him over to the political leaders and now Pilate, the political leader has put him on trial and we're going to pick up the story in chapter 19 verse 1 so have a look at it with me then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head they clothed him in a purple robe And went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die. because he he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat. 
at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Let's bow our heads. Let's ask for God's help um, as we think about what these verses mean. Father, we pray now that you would take away all distractions. Father, please would you speak. Please would you help us to listen. Father, please would you enable us to understand what your word is saying, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Pardon me, excuse me, sorry. Right. These are among the most moving and harrowing words that I think we could read. I remember I was about 15 years old, and I was sat in class at school. It was RE. And our RE teacher, because he was, wanted an easy lesson, decided that he let us just watch the film, the Jesus movie. It was before the Passion of the Christ. It was kind of a much more toned-down affair. And we watched the trial, and we watched the crucifixion of Jesus. And at the end of it, I looked over, and there was a girl about three seats down, and she was crying. Her name was Aisha. I said to her, are you okay? She said, it's just so sad. It's just so sad what they did to Jesus. And in one sense, I want to say to you, that's right. The words that we've just read are so sad. And yet she missed something. And I don't want you to miss it this afternoon. Because when you read John's gospel, and if you've been here and around at Globe for a little while, you'll know this. When you read John's gospel, you will know that there's always more going on than at first appears. That's what I want us to try and see this afternoon. And what I want us to do is I want to zoom in on one detail. I want to paint one image in your mind that I hope as you go away from here will help you to remember what this is all about. Here is the image. It is a crown of thorns. A crown of thorns. Can you picture that? Can you visualize it? And by the way, these aren't little thorns that you might get on brambles. These are long, probably six-inch thorns crudely wound together into a crown. Because what we've just read, and I'm going to, I really want to show you this, what we've just read is the coronation of a king. That's what John is showing us. When King Charles III is um, coronated, <laughs> crowned, when there is the word. When King Charles III is crowned at some point next year, a crown will be placed on his head. A crown that contains 2,868 
crown that will sparkle. A crown that it's estimated is worth between three and five billion pounds. A crown that only three people are allowed to touch. Only the king, the crown jeweler, and the Archbishop of Canterbury. They are the only people allowed to touch that crown. And that crown will be placed on the head of King Charles III. It will be a moment of glory as he is crowned. Can you imagine a greater contrast to a crown that costs nothing to make? A crown that is made up not of diamonds but of thorns. A crown that was placed on the head of this king. And yet John wants us to see, if you want to know who Jesus is, if you want to understand Jesus, you have to understand he is not a king who wears a crown that is worth three billion pounds. He's a king who wears a crown made out of thorns. That's our Jesus. That's King Jesus. And I want to push this idea of the crown of thorns because it's, it's so exactly what John's gospel has been all about. In many ways, an image that you could take to summarize the whole of John's gospel is a crown of thorns. Because those two words just don't go together, right? What a weird, what a bizarre, what a grotesque image. Crown, thorns. And yet throughout John's gospel, over and over again, he's done the same thing. He said, you want to understand Jesus, you need to understand this and this together. Glory and humility. Majesty and meekness. And so in the very first chapter of John's gospel, John introduces Jesus to us as the word become flesh. That is, the Word who is the eternal, glorious, magnificent Son of God, the one who created all things, the one who was before all things, the one who it was, was created for, the Word, become flesh, become a little baby, become a human being. Those two things shouldn't go together, and yet in Jesus they do. And John shows us that this Jesus is the Lord who is also the Lamb. And over and over again in the page of John's gospel, you see this unique identity of Jesus as the one who is all-powerful and yet all-humble. Let me tell you this. There is no other king in human history. There is no other king in the whole of this universe who would wear a crown of thorns. Because there's something about this king that makes him different to every other king. And if you can glimpse that this afternoon, you might glimpse what my friend Aisha never saw. Yes, you need to see the sadness. But can you see the glory? Can you see the majesty? So here's what we're going to do as we try and get into this. We're going to start with this crown of thorns. Then we're going to look at Pilate and the religious leaders. And then we're going to come back to the crown of thorns again. 
as we try and get our heads around exactly what's happening here. There is so much detail. John is so rich in what he writes. I'm going to try and show you some of it as we go. But I hope that it will get you, I hope it will stir you up. And in fact, I hope that you will understand these two statements, right? So have a look with me. I'm just trying to give you an outline at the moment. Have a look with me in verse 5. Look what Pilate says in verse 5. Pilate says, here is the man. Now, it should, it, originally this was written in Greek, and the word is stronger than just here is the man. He actually says, behold the man. Look, the man. It's not a, oh, here's the man. It's a command. Behold the man. And then, um, down in verse 14, Pilate speaks again, and he says, here is your king. This isn't going to come as a surprise to you. It's a bit weak. It should be. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) Behold the man. Behold your king. That's what Pilate says. Pilate doesn't believe that but he speaks more truly than he knows. And this afternoon, I want to say to you, behold the man. Behold the man experiencing the horror and the suffering. And as you behold the man, will you behold your king? Will you worship him? And will you see that there is no other king in the universe like our king? But we have to come to terms with the fact that what Jesus experienced was suffering in the extreme. So let's get into it. Verse 1. Just just look at what it says. We're going to work our way through. Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. That doesn't really do justice to exactly what Jesus experienced, those little words on the page. When the Romans flogged someone, they knew what they were doing. They used leather cords that had bits of bone and metal tied into the ends so that they would literally catch on the back and rip the flesh open. And I don't say this to be overly graphic. I say it because you need to understand that that is what John's first readers, who knew what it was, they knew what a Roman flogging looked like. And so Jesus bounds his hands unable to break free, is flogged. Many would have died under the Roman flogging. It was so vicious. But it wasn't just the violence. Look, verse 2, then they, they put this crown of thorns on him. They, they clothe him in a purple robe. They go up to him again and say, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slap him in the face. This is mockery. This is horrific suffering that Jesus experienced. And if that doesn't move you, if you've grown a little bit ambivalent to that or cold to that, can I ask you to wake up? I read this several times this week and was like, oh yeah, Jesus was flogged. And I had to stop myself and think, no, he was flogged. That's what it cost him. That's what he went through. And my friend Aisha, as she sat with tears rolling down her face, was absolutely right. It should make us weep. 
that Jesus would experience that level of pain and suffering. The thorns were real. The pain was real. And Pilate comes out to the Jews who are gathered there and he says, I find no basis for a charge against him, which begs the question, why are you flogging him then? But then Jesus is brought out in verse 5. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. So as we look at our first kind of sweep through, I just want you to see that the suffering of Jesus, that the the humiliation, how low he went, how much he faced. They're the thorns that Jesus wore. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to hold on for a second. We're going to come back to Jesus at the end. I now want to look at Pilate and the religious leaders. Then we're coming back to Jesus. Because I want to now trace through Pilate. Have a look at Pilate with me. Pilate, he's at a bit of a loss to know what to do, isn't he? You ever have those situations where you think, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the right thing to do is. Pilate doesn't know what to do. He doesn't think that Jesus has done anything wrong. He doesn't think Jesus deserves to die. But he's not a good bloke, is he, Pilate? Here's his first attempt, right? Pilate does three things in this passage. Let me show you them. Firstly, he tries humiliation. Perhaps that will get me out of this. If I can humiliate Jesus, then everyone will laugh at him and that will be over. That's his first thing. That's why they mocked him, all right? It was Pilate's idea. Pilate said, look, flog him, mock him. Let's take the mickey out of him. And so that's what they did. They mock him, and then Pilate brings him out. He, he says to the, the religious leaders gathered there, I'm bringing him out to let you know I find no basis for a charge against him. Then Jesus comes out with a crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate says to them, here is the man. How do you think Pilate said that? Behold the man. I mean, honestly, right? You, look, Jesus is standing here. There is blood. I mean, there's just, he's a mess. He's utterly brutalized. Pilate says to him, look, behold the man. You're really telling me that he's a threat? You're having a laugh, aren't you? Look what I've done to him. I've completely humiliated him. He's not a threat. And Pilate thinks if he can humiliate Jesus, then the problem will go away. We can take the mickey out of him and the Jewish leaders will go, yeah, you're right, let's not bother them. That's his first technique, humiliation. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work because the religious leaders cry out, crucify, crucify. So Pilate has to move on to another technique. And his second technique with Jesus is intimidation. If he can't humiliate him, then he'll try and intimidate him. So verse 8, when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. So now the the religious leaders have said, no, he's claimed to be the son of God. And Pilate now is getting a bit, man, why is this man claiming to be the son of God? This feels a bit freaky. You you feel that Pilate's getting unnerved, right? So look at Pilate's response. He goes back inside. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. 
Imagine you're Pilate. You're looking at this pathetic, bloody lump of meat, and you're looking at him going, where do you come from? What is it about you? What are you? Jesus says nothing to him. He just looks at him. Can you imagine how terrifying that would be? And so Pilate goes for it. He he says, do you refuse to speak to me? See, Pilate now is going to play a power game. He's going to say, who do you think you are? Do you not realize I have power? Either to free you or to crucify you. Here is Pilate leaning on Jesus. Here is Pilate saying, what are you doing? I've got the power here. Stop playing this stupid game. Say something so I can set you free. And he's trying to intimidate Jesus into asking for freedom. All Jesus needs to say to Pilate is, okay, Pilate, that's fine. I'm not a king. Let me go. That's all Pilate needs. Pilate needs virtually nothing from Jesus. So he tries to intimidate Jesus into it. But look at Jesus' response. I mean, seriously, his response straight in the eye of Pilate, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Jesus is not intimidated by Pilate. And so Pilate has to move on to a third technique. And it's not really a technique as much as a decision he gets to, which is resignation. He basically says, I I give up. And so in this weird scene, he goes out, uh, this is verse um, 13, he goes out to sit down um, on the judge's seat at a place called, uh, known as the Stone Pavement, which now makes Gabbatha. Here he is sitting in his judgment seat. Having just said, I have the power to set you free or to crucify you, and he tries to set him free and he can't. He doesn't even have the power to set Jesus free. It's a joke. Pilate's got no power. And he's desperate. Here is your king, Pilate says to the Jews. They say, take him away, crucify him. And Jesus says, shall I crucify, Pilate says, shall I crucify your king? They keep shouting. And eventually Pilate hands him over. He, he says, I give up. Fine, take him. As I've reflected on Pilate this week, I think you see all of those techniques at work in our world. There are people who try to humiliate Jesus, who mock him. Right? You see this all the time. Comedians do this all the time. I can discredit Jesus by mocking him. Huh, he thinks he's God. What an idiot. And if I can mock Jesus, then I can discredit Jesus and we can forget about the whole thing. Many people try to mock Jesus in order to write him off. The trouble with Jesus is that he just keeps coming back. And he's, too, he's got too much integrity about him. And so people try intimidation. Let's try and squash this. Let's try and kill this. You know, there have been people all the way through the centuries who've tried to squash this message of Jesus, who tried to say, shut up. Let's not talk about this anymore. We've got power here. We're the political powers. We're in charge. 
And Jesus just keeps coming back. You'd have no power if it weren't given to you from above. And those powers have risen and they've fallen and they've risen and they've fallen. And Jesus still rules. You can't intimidate Jesus into giving up. He has too much power. And I think many in our world then end up with resignation. They say, I don't really care about Jesus, to be honest. I don't know. Maybe he is a king. Maybe he did rise from the dead. But I don't know. Most people don't seem to think so. The crowd are all shouting, I should ignore him, so perhaps I will. I think that's the state of many people in London. I don't know. But I can't be bothered. That's Pilate. He just gives up. I wonder if you see any of those things in yourself. But now I want us to look at the religious leaders. What about them? What about the religious leaders? What are they doing at this point? We've traced through the story of Pilate. What about them? Well, the religious leaders, by this point in John's gospel, are absolutely adamant that Jesus must die. They have rejected him. There's no more arguing about it. They've made their decision. They are absolutely closed-minded. And so when Pilate brings out this joke of a man, this joke of a weak, bloodied man, rather than go, oh, you're right, Pilate, he really isn't that impressive, they go, crucify him. You've not done enough, Pilate. I want him dead. Crucify him. There is outright rejection. Pilate says, there's not enough evidence for me to crucify him. You take him and crucify him. I don't want to crucify him. And they come back at him. They start quoting their law. And at this point, they say, we have a law. According to the law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. And in many ways, they're sort of right. If you do claim to be the son of God and you're not the son of God, you deserve to die. But what if you are? What if you are? That's what they don't see. They have closed their minds. They are blind. They are in darkness. They will not see what is staring them in the face. They have just rejected him. You know what it's like when you get a bit of old Play-Doh. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? The Play-Doh's become so hard, you can't do anything with it anymore. It used to be good. It used to be bright and red and happy and you can make elephants and starfish and all sorts of lovely things that would delight your heart and there they would they'd sit on the desk and oh look I'll change it I'll make it something else and it's played played it's beautiful but then it gets left in the sun and it gets harder and harder and then you can't do anything with it it's just a lump that's what the religious leaders have become like their hearts have become so hard even as they stare at Jesus they're not moved Their hearts are so hard. But you have to notice that the religious leaders pay a price that is far too high. They end up saying something which is unbelievable. They are forced to say something which is extraordinary. And I want you to see how high the price they pay Because this is the price you will pay if you don't follow Jesus. Look what they say. It's 
So this is from verse 12. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down at the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar. They are swearing allegiance to King Caesar. Caesar, the leader of the Roman Empire, the brutal Roman Empire. An emperor who is obsessed with power who absolutely would wear a crown with 2,868 diamonds in it. A king of the world. They say, we want that king, not this one. In order to, in order to reject Jesus, they have to accept another king. They have to accept Caesar. Caesar who will brutalize them. Caesar who has demand taxes from them. Caesar who has oppressed them and kept them down and been cruel to them. We have no king but Caesar. That is an extraordinary thing to say. And yet that is the choice that people make over and over again. We don't want this king. We want this king. And there are plenty of kings that will rule your life. There are plenty of things that will step into the place. Plenty of kings will come and say, oh, if you worship me, I'll give you what you want. But every king will oppress you and enslave you and destroy you. You may say, John, what are you talking about? King Charles is not that bad. I'm not talking about those sorts of kings. I'm talking about those kings that we would entrust ourselves to. Perhaps it isn't a human ruler. What about, let's talk about the king of money. Money, would you be my king, please? I want to worship you. I, I, I want to serve you. I want to give my life for you. I don't want this king, I want you. I have no king but money. Let me tell you, a love and worship for money will consume you and it will enslave you and ultimately it will destroy you. Because as you're dying and you cry out to your king of money, king, save me, the king of money will laugh in your face and say, save you? You're joking. The king of money can do nothing. Perhaps it isn't the king of money. Perhaps it is the king of popularity or career. Whatever it is, whatever king it is you choose to worship, whatever king it is you says, we have no king but this. This is what we worship. This is what we long for. You have got a king. There is something or someone who rules you. And the tragedy is that we would exchange this king for that king. Can I say to you, the price is too high. 
the price to give up on this King Jesus, it's, it will cost you too much because you will find yourself ruled by another king. That's what the Jews found. They declared allegiance to Caesar. Do you not see that? Over and over again, we declare allegiance to other rulers. In fact, throughout John's gospel, there has been another king mentioned, another ruler, the ruler of the kingdom of this heir, the enemy of God. Actually, behind every human ruler lies the devil who enslaves and oppresses and destroys. That's who they're declaring allegiance to. Jesus has already told them that back in John chapter 8. He says, you are children of the devil. But that may be too much for now. So let's come back, right? So I hope you can see why this matters now. Now what we need to do is go back to Jesus. Because now in these last couple of minutes, I need to persuade you now that Jesus is better. I need to persuade you that this king who wears a crown, if all you can see is, oh, poor Jesus, you don't see enough. There is so much here, and I can only do a little bit now. There is so much here that shows you the glory of what is the majesty, right? The majesty. We've seen the meekness. You've got to imagine him. Here he is, covered in blood, beaten to a pulp. He's a mess. And yet he's majestic. There is such majesty right here. Let me give you an example. They mocked him. They beat him. They flogged him. Listen to what God said would happen. 700 years before Jesus. God said, there's going to be someone who comes. And I'm going to send a king. A king like you've never seen before. I'm going to send a king who will suffer. In fact, this is how he's going to suffer. This is the king speaking. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I've not been rebellious. I've not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Oh, hang on a second. What if if this is the plan? What if this humiliated, beaten, bloodied man is the plan? What if that is God's promise? What if that was God, what God always said would happen? Let's have a look at some of the other details. What about um, Jesus in verse um, 10 or verse 9, where Pilate comes in to intimidate him and says, Where do you come from? And Jesus stays quiet. Oh, can you see the majesty of his silence? The majesty of his silence. Jesus is not some intimidated, cowering, whimpering, little weakling, kind of going, oh, Pilate, please stop. Make them stop. Make them stop. No, here is a king who stands silent. Why is he silent? Why doesn't he say something? What if it's because the king that God promised would be a king 
who was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. How do you know when the king has come? How do you know when the king who's going to save us has come? How do you know? Well, because his back will be ripped open and he will not open his mouth. That's how you find him. You see, what if Jesus' silence is Jesus knowing exactly what he's doing? One more detail. Isn't it extraordinary? In verse 13, when Pilate heard all this, he brings the Jesus out. He sits down on the judge's seat at a place known as Stone Pavement. What, I mean, what a ridiculous picture. Pilate sits down on the judge's seat. Pilate's going to sit in judgment. And then John said, oh, let me tell you what day it was. Let me tell you what time it was. <laughs> Random. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Thanks, John. <laughs> what if John is telling you more there? What if John is telling you that although Pilate thinks he's sitting in judgment on Jesus, actually Jesus is doing what he came to do? What was the preparation day? Preparation day was the day when the lambs were killed. The sacrifice was offered. That they celebrated the Passover and the lamb would die. And that sacrifice was to show the rescue that God brought about. And so even here, do you see the glory can you see now that this man covered in blood, blood pouring down his face, he's the lamb of God. He's dying as the lamb. He's being slaughtered as the Passover lamb. In the days of the Passover, this is how it worked. The oldest son was going to die. God said, I'm going to bring a plague on all of Egypt. The oldest son will die. But this is how you keep them safe. You sacrifice a lamb. So in my house, it would have been Josiah, my eldest son. Josiah's life. God would have killed Josiah. And God said, John, here's what you need to do. You need to take a lamb. You put his blood on the doorframe. And then when I see the blood, I will know that a, a lamb has died instead of Josiah. And then I'll pass over. Imagine it was my house and Josiah says to me, um, Dad, I'm just asking, have you put the blood, um, I'm, not, I'm not stressed or anything, but have you put the blood on the, on the door? I say to him, I'll get to it, don't worry, it's all right, I've, I've got it in hand. A little bit later. Dad, I, I really, really don't want to bug you, but... This feels like quite an urgent thing. And eventually we kill the lamb, we put the blood on the door, and Josiah is saved. And Josiah will look at that lamb. It's crystal clear, isn't it? That lamb, let's call him Fluffy. That lamb who's lived with us for a week, because that's how it worked. Josiah will say, Fluffy is my hero. 
because Fluffy died for me. If Fluffy hadn't died, I would be dead. It's a substitute. That's how it worked. And Jesus says, I'm Fluffy. I'm the lamb. I'm the one who will die. You see, all of us, by nature, deserve to die. We deserve God's anger. But Jesus said, but God says, this is my plan. I will send a king who will offer his back to be ripped open, who will keep his mouth shut, and who will die at the exact time that the Passover lamb needs to die. I don't know how God can make it more clear to you what this king is. This is the king who dies for you. This is a king who rejects the crown of 2,868 diamonds and instead wears a crown of thorns for you. You have to understand that when he was beaten, he was beaten for you. He stood in your place. And the crown, the thorns that pierced his brow were the thorns that we should have worn. The suffering he faced is the suffering we should have experienced. And Jesus did it to keep you safe. Here is the man. Behold the man. Behold your king. Is he your king? Is he your king this afternoon? I don't just mean you know about him. I don't just mean you're interested in him. I don't mean you come to church. I mean, is he your king? Do you worship him? Do you adore him? Do you know that he did it for you? Do you read this story and not like Aisha, crying because she thinks it's sad, do you find yourself crying because you think he did it for me? This is for me. That's why he stood there. Pilate will never do that for you. No other king will die for you. Only Jesus. So we're going to take some time to worship him and thank him. We've got some time. We're going to sing. I, I want to encourage you to, to use this time. Perhaps you have found in your hearts um, like a lump of Play-Doh increasing hardening. Why not ask this afternoon that God would make your heart soft? Perhaps you find yourself being re resigned to go, oh, well, no one else seems interested. This afternoon, would you see that you, you need this king? You really need him. And would you worship him for what he's done? So we're going to sing. Um, and we, we can spend a bit of time singing. Uh, feel free to use this time how you want. Um, if you want to sit or stand or um, whatever, then go for it. Use this time to pray. Perhaps there are things you think, I, I, need, to, I need to remember this. I need to remember Jesus as my king. Um, I invite you just to use the next little while to respond. We're going to sing a few songs together. Um, I'm going to lead us in prayer. Um, let's pray. Father, please help us now as we respond. Father, thank you that Jesus wore a crown of thorns. Thank you for glory and humility. Thank you for majesty and meekness. Thank you for beauty and horror. Thank you for Jesus. Please, this afternoon, even as we now worship you, Lord Jesus, would you move our hearts?
stir our affections. Change us, Lord, we pray. And we pray that we would declare we have no king but Jesus. Amen.